Turn with me, if you would, to John, the 15th chapter. And while you're, you're getting there, um, I will make a quick announcement. A year ago in August, I taped 14 laborious shows in two days. Diane was with me there on It's Supernatural. And, uh, and it was just seven shows one day, seven shows the back day. Each show was 28 minutes and 30 seconds, and I had to have them timed out and written. So I thought I'd never get to the end of that day. They, it was a year, a year, and they sent me a text that we're ready to, to film season two, and I said, not till I see season one. <laughs> so season one, and they gave me a lot of reasons. I was up there a few weeks ago, and a lot of reasons why it didn't come out, production issues and all that. So it comes out on ISN uh, the first, which is tomorrow, called The Currency of Heaven. You guys were the first one to hear that message because it goes in a little more extensive in the show there. So I think if it doesn't fly here, it's not going to fly anywhere. So you guys get the opportunity to, to I can try things out on you. Not really. But yeah, I guess so. Think about it. <laughs> now that I think about it. <laughs> And I think you'll be our guinea pig. I like for you to have the first touch or the first taste as it was. And because um, I like to see us here be able to receive all that the Lord has for us. So then I told him, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll look at doing season two later on at that point. And I'm going to take some time off in November and finish the book that still yet to be written with that. All right, I want to do part three of what I started a few weeks ago. Thank you, Pastor Jim, for a message last week. I know that when I'm, I'm gone, I never, uh, I know this sounds terribly, but I don't worry about whether you're being fed or not. You're in good hands, good staff, good ministry here. All of our staff's been with us. You know, most of us 20 years. Frankie's just a young guy. He's just only been here about 10 years or so. You know, he'll catch up one day. And so uh, I'm thankful for the team that God has put together. And the real heroes are in the back, back there in the nursery. They're the ones that's doing the, the dirty stuff. <laughs> You know, we're doing the tough stuff. So all of us come together, part and parcel makes up something that we're pursuing after the Lord. We're living in precarious times, there's no doubt about it. We can either be in denial or we can hype it so much to the other side that we have what the world would call a chicken little syndrome. I grew up in a family where I had both of those in the family. I would have two people, I will not say who it is because they're probably watching online, one would say, it's terrible, everything's falling apart. And then I would talk to my other person in the family, and they said, no, nah, it's not. And then I'd get the third person and say, well, it's kind of this. I'm not saying who it is, but anyway. But there is an extreme that we get to, how that we can live in this world and yet not be a part of it. How do we live in this world, exist in the world, and function in this world without letting the culture of this world affect how we think and how we see and how we respond to one another. Fear is very prophetic. It declares something that hasn't happened yet, but we have an expectation that it is. And there's people that's easy for them to predict fear because they're filled with fear. Fear begets fear. As I said last week that fear is the language of the throne of darkness and the kingdom of God has its own language which is worship, blessing the Lord, honoring the Lord. The kingdom of darkness has accusation and you know, throwing insults out and injury. The kingdom of heaven is all about blessing and fulfilling that. 
So how do we live in, the, in between two places? When Jesus was being crucified on the cross, there was a purpose in everything that happened. There, every nuance of his hands being lifted up, which was the Levitical high priest position for offering a sacrifice. He was suspended between heaven and earth. You ever thought of that being prophetic in that sense? Everything that God did in that course of action was speaking of something to come that you and I would be able to take from, make application of, that would help us through this process. Because we really believe fully what the scripture says, that we're just pilgrims passing through. Our eternal home is not here. Our body may be here somewhere, but our spirit, the part that he that was born again, who receives all that he has, the benefits of salvation is saved, healed, and delivered. So there's benefits of healing. There's benefits of deliverance from our soul, our mind, and there's the benefits of eternal, our, our spirit, salvation of eternity. Jesus was explaining in John the 14th chapter what was beginning to happen to him. We can make personal applications what's going on in this world right now. And he kept telling them, this is what's going to happen, and I tell you this so that you'll not be bothered when it comes. He wasn't telling them just to show, listen, I'm prophetic and I want to show you, see what happened? I don't know why there's a big need for, to show our ministries that we're prophetic just by our, our track history. We can get busy into making predictions and not be prophetic. There's a big difference between being prophetic and predictable. I can predict the weather by looking clouds. Prophetic is, is being able to count those things and not as though they are. And we need to make sure that we don't pass things that are predicting off as, say, they're, pro, they're prophetic. So we're, we're, how do we live in the tension between these two worlds at such a time as this? Right now, if you were living in Somalia, you would have to believe and know without a doubt that you were in the last days of all of the stuff going on. Christians being killed and, and martyred in their huts in the, because of, their, of who they are as a Christians. Afghanistan, the underground church in Afghanistan is actually flourishing, always under pressure. See that Chinese church, more Muslims coming to faith than ever before, Jews coming to faith than ever before. But we tend to let, fear is easy to sell, faith is a much harder sell. Find that true? Somebody, come on, preach it, talk to me. <laughs> Jesus said, in this world, you will only have red beds of roses. You will have tribulation. I don't like that word tribulation. We're not talking about the great tribulation, we're talking about you will have resistance and things that will not make you happy. In this world, you will have tribulation. Now, that's an easy sell, but he, the next part is when we leave it off. But be of a good cheer. Cheer up. I've already dealt with this so that you can have that. Whatever you set your heart and affection on means that you will empower there. Frankie opened the meeting today talking about magnification that magnify the Lord with me. Whatever we magnify, we empower. Whatever we make larger. So if the problems become larger than the solutions, that means we're worshiping the altar of another throne. So when Jesus is preparing them in John the 14th chapter, he says, I want you to know what's going to happen before it happens so that you will not lose heart. Literally means have the wind kicked out of you, is that word. All the time he's saying, fear not, fear not, fear not. The environment that Jesus was operating in, as most of you know, was under Roman occupation. 
And the Romans were known for their cruelty. And they kept coming to Jesus and saying, they were in, at least in, emanating the fact that the idea that we believe that when Messiah comes, he will come and take over rule here and that he will take dominion over this Roman occupation. And Jesus said to them, give to what belongs to Caesar, give to God what belongs to God. Jesus never would answer their question about the now. He was always prophetically talking about, but here we go. You go through this so you can get there. But if you're magnifying this, and his disciples certainly were, and I'm not saying by any means, let me clarify that again and again and again, that it's not perilous times, it's not issues that are not the most fun time to live in. I mean, my parents talked about living through the Great Depression, walking 20 miles in the snow barefooted to get to school. Found out that wasn't true. They had a horse. <laughs> so we have every generation's gone through things, but obviously there's things closer now than when we first believed. But Jesus, in prepping for them, he leads into the next chapter because remember, the book of John was a letter written to them, not broken up in chapters and, and verses. And the thought was a continually flowing thought all the way through that. And he ends at least chapter 14 for us. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives. Put it in the context where they didn't know where they were going to live and die. Many times they were shut. There was like the house church was beginning to open up a little bit and the synagogue was kicking them out because of them believing on this rogue guy out here, this teacher that they didn't accept because he doesn't fit the profile that they were looking for. They were looking for someone from the tribe of Levi and Jesus comes through Judah, so it can't be God even though they didn't realize the difference between the old covenant and a new covenant. Jesus was coming in setting a new covenant, not written on the tables of stone that's in the temple that Moses had, but he says, I'm going to write them on the tablets of your heart. I'm moving from the outside where you can do everything, sacrifice, do everything outside, and everybody saw how spiritual you were, but I'm moving to the inside, so from now on, you are the temple. You are the living temple. I'm coming to express myself in you and through you. Let me just say when I say through you, there's a corporate worship. And Proposition 3 is on the ballot about lifting the ban on churches. Diane and I have already voted. It would be good to say, yes, lift the ban on churches at that point. So go and vote, yes, lift the ban on churches. When they start putting bans and telling us what it is, then we've agreed with something that God never intended for. We are an essential at least we think we are. But whoever makes these rules may not think so. All right. So Jesus said, I, my peace I'm giving to you. Let not your heart be troubled, disturbed, tr turned upside down where you're confused. Be not troubled, neither let it be afraid. And then in verse 30, he says, I will no longer, this is chapter 14, putting into 15, I will no longer talk with you much for the ruler of this world is coming and he has nothing in me. Comes into the, the, the Garden of Gethsemane. They said the soldiers are there. His, Jesus' disciples are tired and worn out. They're tired. They sleep. Jesus uh, chides them a little bit. Couldn't you just wait with me in this moment? Get in the moment with me for one hour. They were so overtaken by grief by what he said. I'll get into that in just a moment. That they totally got tired, worn out. Now, the ruler of this world, the little God of this world, 
is coming, but he finds nothing in me. The original says he finds nothing in me that will resonate with him, that will not sound like him. He comes into the garden, the soldiers were there, and Jesus sees them, and they said, who are you looking for? And he said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I am he. And he said, I am. He was prophetically, I am. I am that I am. I am he. They fall down because there was nothing that was in him that was in agreement with the spirit of which they came in with. It's important. Are we in agreement? A few weeks ago, I talked about fellowshipping with demons. Some of you go, ah, well, it's in the scripture there. What agreement or fellowship hath the light with darkness? So again, they ask him again. They kept falling down. Third time, they fell down. And Jesus knew if we're going to fulfill what the Father sent me to do, I'm going to have to allow them to take me. He goes through that process. His, his uh, disciples are very much in grief. He starts telling them, now that I've told you the bad part, let me talk to you about the good part. Pick up John 15, verse 1. I am the true vine. They were all... They understood agronomy, they understood farming, they understood what plants, they understood that. So he could have talked about anything, but he used something they could relate to. I am the vine. They knew what that was. I am the vine, and here you are the branches. See the relationship. A branch comes out of the vine. The vine is the main stalk or the main uh, feeding to the branches. I'm the vine, you're the vine, the vine. And my father is the vine dresser or the vine keeper. He is responsible to keep the vines in the order that he wants them to be. And as a good vine dresser, he comes along and he prunes dead branches that are not bearing fruit. The word fruit there is the result of something on the inside that produces the outside. Fruit of anything. Fruit of repentance means the way I'm behaving, the way I'm acting is a result of what's going on on the inside. Amen. Amen. <laughs> like I said, bring forth fruit, meat for repentance, is your behavior says whether you really repented or not. Okay. Thank you, Pastor, for that. Then he tells them, he takes away the, every branch that, does, that, that bears fruit. He prunes it, that doesn't bear fruit, prunes it that it may bear more fruit. So his idea is always moving towards increase, not just the idea of whacking you off. For the idea of increasing Because his agenda, he's wanting sons and daughters, not just branches hanging on. Not members, but branches that have life in them. And the fruit of the vine speaks of the Holy Spirit, the wine of the Holy Spirit. So he's talking about you're a branch, you are to release the power of the Holy Spirit. My father is twirling everything up so there would be a greater expression of the wine of the Spirit or the demonstration of of the Holy Spirit. Hang on to that word, wine of the Spirit. You'll, you'll need it in just a minute. Not that we're going to hand out any, but you'll, you'll, you'll get it in a minute. All right, here it is. Verse, verse 3. You are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. Abide in me. And the word pitch, it means pitch the tent, dwell, live there. It is not a mobile app where you can just flip around. Put down roots and stay there because you will exist you will draw from Emmanuel, and you will be fed. The branches will be fed through, through the vine and through into the branches. Abide in me in you, as you the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the minute vine. Let me just say right now that part of the, the pruning, I think in a lot of ways, it didn't cost you anything, 
is that we're going to see ministry, profile ministry pruned back is because they have seen themselves becoming the vine and not the branches. I'm not prophesying, I'm just telling you. Sadly to say. It's because when we feel like I know how to do this well enough that I don't need to even depend on Jesus. Many places they don't even open their Bible or read a scripture. They're just talking about their ministry and what's going on. And when loose sense that Jesus says, I'm the vine, the word, I'm the word, and without the word, the vine, you can't bear anything. We're totally dependent on our relationship with Jesus. All right. Look at the final. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, abides in the word, we say, and I in him, bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. We bear according to understanding of the word of God and not just mentally, but the word we do, not the word we believe. You got that? You shall know the truth and the truth shall make, not create. The original says you are make created. You shall know the truth and you will be made free, but you know, the truth, not of the truth that we hear or the truth we believe and it's the truth that we do that makes us free. We can preach it all day long, but doing it is completely different. What brings freedom is the fact that I'm walking it out, not just preaching it out. If I this morning preach to you and don't live out this word, then I am a hypocrite and I really don't believe Jesus. The Bible says in James that those who teach in the word are judged. I wish that wasn't there, but it's true, isn't it? They're judged with a stricter or a more microscopic way of looking at. I can't get by with anything these days. When I started out in the ministry, I think, I could, I could, God's good with that. And he goes, you've outgrown that. When you were a child, you did childish things. Now grow up. All right, my introduction seemed to get long. I'll see if I can condense them real quick. Your words abide, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, I'm planted, let the words pitch their tent inside of you so you don't have, I don't have to wake up every morning saying, God help me to not to rob a bank today. Whatever the, the propensity, the word is iniquity, propensity that I have to fight to not do means the fact is I've never died to it. It still has life in me. It's got a root in me. And Hebrews 12 says, beware lest a root of bitterness springs up in you and defiles many. So the fact is, how we act and how we behave not only just affects our own household and family, but affects everybody else we come in contact with. I love what Alex was saying is, is, uh, is uh, at the restaurant, at Dinah had experience, someone took us out to eat and we went out, to, uh, we enjoyed the meal and so we, we left the restaurant and so I didn't realize the person who was providing the meal, did not give the tip until the waitress came out and started shouting at us. And it was on a Sunday. Nobody you know, so don't. Then I, so I got home and I told him, I said, man, I just, I can't handle that. I got back in my car, drove back across town and gave a very generous tip to her that. And I went, and she, I went up to her and I said, I apologize to you. And she started asking me, who are you? And I said, I'm embarrassed to say. But I said, just suffice to say, the Lord bless you and keep you. And make his face shine upon you. And walked out. 
because the Lord wouldn't let me get by with that. I could justify it, bad service, but when you start justifying things, you're justifying what's happening to you, not based upon who he is. As you do it to the least of these, that means you're doing it to him. If Jesus came in here and was serving these meals and it was bad service, I wouldn't tip him. It means I don't fear God. I'm just proud of my, who I am. Didn't cost you anything, but I'll move on. Okay. But this is my father. Let me back up to verse 7. You abide in me and my words abide in you. Live, dwell, and exist. Activate, actively moving. Well, ask what you desire. The word desire there means to lean into. Talking about desire the things of the Lord and he shall bring it about. Desire means to lean into. It's an aerodynamic term that means you lean. all planes take off in the wind when possible because the wind catches and lifts it. So whatsoever you desire, lean into who? The spirit. Wind of the, wind of the spirit. You lean into him and let him lift you. When he lifts you, you find it's amazing how your desires begin to change. I thought I wanted this. Now that I get closer to him, I want that. I want what he has in store for me. Okay. Verse 8. Whatever you desire will be done for you by, by my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples or disciplined followers. There's a saying that they have during rabbinical schools back in the, the time when Jesus walked to the earth. They would say, you have the dust of your rabbi on you. Because all of the schools, uh, rabbinical schools, religious schools, if you will, were that they would, there was no building, so they would sit out under a tree or they'd just walk through the fields. Jesus gave many parables as he's walking around, and they'd, some another school would see this, and they'd say, the behavior of those disciples would tell which rabbi they had. And he said, I see you have the dust, and you've been walking with the rabbi, you've been walking with the teacher. Wouldn't it be great when people say, I see that you've got Jesus on you. There's something resembles you that resembles a view of eternity. Okay. Pick up verse 11. Jesus said, these things I have spoken to you that my joy, you keep my commandments, you'll keep abiding my love just as I've kept my Father's commandments. These things I've spoken to you. Keyword, I've spoken them to you. Remember, you go into John 16th when he said, when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will take of mine, Jesus is saying this, and he will give it to you and he will remind you of the things I've said. Part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in these last days is reminding us of what Jesus said, not what the news said. I say that a lot. Remind what Jesus is saying. Because in this world, you're going to have tribulation and it's broadcast everywhere. What is Jesus saying? And it takes the ministry of the Holy Spirit to remind us, oh yeah, the word said these things are going to happen, but get ready. We're closer now than when we first believed. Look up, rejoice. Well, what about this? Look up and rejoice. These things have got to happen according to Matthew 24. These things will happen, the beginning of sorrow, the beginning of birth pains, all of these things will happen, but know that you're getting closer to me than before. Well, I got things to do. I got kids to raise. I've got business to raise. And he said, occupy, fill, fill up while you're doing that. It doesn't mean that you've got to quit one thing to do the other, but just trust me while you're doing it. Make sense? Okay. 
He moves on, he's saying, this is my commandment, you love one another as I have loved you. The reason being, he said, I'm speaking to you because these things are going to happen. You've got sorrow, but your love will start growing cold. It's another place. Last days, the love of many will grow cold. But make sure that you're loving one another because the very thing that the adversary likes to do is accuse one another to one another to other people. If you're doing that, that means you're facing at another throne, another emperor, another principality, if you will. That's why Jesus said in John 18, verse 36, my kingdom is not of this world. Make sure you're sitting in the right seat of the king, kingdom of God. Kingdom of God has experienced violence and the violent take it by force. Word violence there, biazo, means to crowd out. So he said, this king of glory has come to crowd out everything that's not of him, to crowd out the issues of the world, to crowd out the carnality of the world, all of the fleshly things of the world. He come to crowd it out so there's nothing left but him. So he said, I've come to reveal the Father. So he's saying, so what exudes out of us is what Jesus put in us. The vine becomes so so feel that the branches start exuding this wine of the Spirit. Greater love is no than any man who lay down his life. I've shown you what love is. Lay down your life for one another, not being where you want somebody else to serve you. I mean, that's, that, that's not Jesus' model. Verse 15. No longer do I call you servants. Doulos is the word. Means one who has no inheritance... You work for me, but don't expect any inheritance coming. It's the best it's going to be, right, what you got. Be happy you got three meals a day or two meals a day, whatever the slave count was then, and that's all you can get. Jesus said, I no longer call you doulos, but I call you friends. Because no longer, I call you this because what master, what the ma- friends, servants don't know what the master is doing. But I've called you friends for all things I've heard from my father I've made known to you. Now listen. A slave mentality is worried about what's happening with the natural senses. They don't know what's going on. When people don't know what's going on, they fill in the blank. They don't love me. They don't care. You know. And they start filling in what we think is happening. Predictors. But Jesus said, I'm no longer calling you servants where you don't have to know what's going on. I'm calling you as friends because now you know. Now you know. I'm taking you into a higher place. So I'm speaking these things to you now. Holy Spirit's going to come and bring them back to your remembrance. So now that you're not, it's not a a one-way conversation, but it's the Father has sent me to tell you about him. You'll see in just a moment. You didn't choose me. He says, first of all, he said, for all things I've heard from my father, I have made known to you. I haven't kept anything back from you. In the garden, Adam and Eve, the devil tried to in, uh, implement God in saying, there's some things you haven't, you're keeping back from me. Did God really say to create suspicion, cynicism, and doubt? Those are the three things that will separate us from what God is saying. I don't know. The first conspiracy was in the garden of Eden. Did God really say? I think God's up to something else. I bet he's really making an alliance with the hippopotamuses over there. And the hippopotamuses are conspiring to uh, getting us because they're the things that will block the gate and we can't get out of here. Okay.
no longer call you slaves. I'm calling you friends. I want you to know what's going on. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, not disappointed you, appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, fulfill everything that the vine is pushing, pushing through you, that your fruit should remain. You got a legacy, not just a temporary, temporary thing with silver and gold here, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. The moss and the rust can break in and get it. That your fruit would remain. That whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you, give to who you. Sir, not servants, but friends. These things I command you that you love one another. All right, jump over to chapter 16. I want us to see the, the chronology here. And then I've just got a few minutes to preach. Pick it up verse 19. Jesus knew this is an ongoing thought, dialogue. Now, Jesus knew that they desired to ask him, and he said to them, are you inquiring among yourselves what I said? A little while, and I will be with you, and, and again a little while, and I, I'll, you won't see me again. Most assuredly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. Isn't that interesting? We see that right now, don't we? Evil it becomes good, and good is evil. At least that's the way the world's trying to push the narrative. But he goes on to say, let me give you an example of this. I say to you that you will weep and lament, the world will rejoice, and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. The clash of these two kingdoms and the thing that destroys the clash of the, of the kingdom of darkness is the spirit of joy. That's what I want to look at. I think the church world, to a large degree, has lost its joy. And we've let it be replaced by the spirit of this world. Violence, biazo, means this world wants to fill us up so full of the fear, and what about this, what about that, and you've got to make sure you don't this, make sure you don't that. And I'm not, I'm not afraid with being informed, but just don't allow that to replace the joy of the Lord. Nehemiah 8.10, after they built the temple, which is the verse that this church was founded on 34 years ago, eat the fat, drink the sweet, which is the wine of the Spirit, rejoicing the Lord. The fat belonged to the Lord. And he said, but on this day, I'm going to allow you to be a participant of it. It was part of the sacrifice. He said, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. When he uses the word strength there, it doesn't mean that the idea that you just feel good for that day because you're full of wine the word strength is divine enablement, pretty much like what God put, told with, uh, with uh, when he told, spoke to Gideon. He said, and the Spirit of the Lord put on Gideon. I've used this example many times. The original says, and God put him on, like Gideon became the, the hand, and God or became the glove, and Gideon became the, the, uh, the glove, and God became the hand in the glove. And God came up in them, and he was able to do things that were beyond what they could ask or think according to the power that works in him, not around him, in him. So when he's saying the joy of the Lord is your strength, it's him, God himself, doing something inside of us. Joy is not an emotion, that's happiness. Happiness happens in the soul or mind or will and thinking, and we all like to be happy. But happiness can change from one moment to the other. I mean, you just watch Hallmark. I said, 
I said, here we have, this is the good thing. Here we have the conflict. Boy leaves girl, girl leaves boy. And so now we've got the sad part. But here's the resolution. He comes back, he gets the farm, they live happily ever after. So happiness seems to be like this in our soul, like mind, will, and intellect and trying to cerebrally figure out what God's doing. Joy is something that is internally by the spirit of the Lord. It's not the joy for the Lord having, I have feelings for you, God. But it's the agape, which is not phileo, is friendship feeling. I have feelings that only God can put there himself. It takes the spirit of God in us to worship God. We can't even worship him the way that he says worship him without the spirit of God in us. Through Jesus, Hebrews 13 says, through Jesus, we've come boldly thrown and there we offer sacrifice of praise through Jesus. He's the, he's the priest that we worship through. So when he's talking about that the joy of the Lord is your strength, I'm empowering you to fill up the space around you. That word. You fill up the glove. The joy of the Lord is so strengthening that when you're around other people, around other things, and they're telling this is bad, that's bad, instead of giving empathy to it, then you're just bowing to the spirit of that day. I don't mind being where there's being informed situations, we believe this, we need to pray over these things and all these things, I don't have a problem with that. What I'm just saying is when we allow that to become the, the weight on us instead of, but God, rejoice for your redemption's nigh. How close is it? Like right now? Rejoice for your redemption is close at hand. So what's happening is that we're seeing the joy of the Lord moving in such a way that takes over and fills up the space. The word sanctuary is, means, doesn't mean a building, but it means the space around where he can come and dwell. We're setting boundaries and establishing his kingdom so that he, has a, he can fill up all that space. So when the enemy comes in, according to what James says, when the enemy comes, well, excuse me, resist the devil. This is James. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Resist there means to replace with. When he says, you know you're going to fail. You know this is not working out for you. You know this. You've seen the worst. You're... The, bet, the worst is still to come. <laughs> and so you, you, believe, you believe all that, what you're saying is, yeah, I know. Then what I've done, I've, I've cast away my joy and I've now entered into a, a point of sorrow. Jesus gives us this parable. Now, if you're one that likes to go on and listen to the news, I, I'm, I, I'm not chiding over that. I'm just saying balance it with the idea, but God but God. What the enemy meant for evil, but God. He, he likes to get the biggest bang for the buck. He hardened the heart of Pharaoh, it was God who did it, so he could bring out the Hebrews with a high hand. All right. Here we go to the next one. Here's the parable in verse 21. A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. I so remember that. I was told about it anyway. I was there. The hour has come, but as soon as she has given birth to the child, isn't interesting because that's what intercessory is. The word intercession comes where intercedo. It means to stand between two points. I'm not pulled this way, but I'm pulled that way. And I'm making intercession saying, this is the word of God. This is what God's saying. This is how God feels. This is the heart of God. Instead of telling everybody around the, this God people, 
Oh, it's getting really bad, really bad, really bad. We know that. Elijah had his, his protege, Elisha, and all the sons of the prophet would come to Elisha and say, do you realize that your master, your, your father, Elijah, is going to be taken up today? And it, It's going to be a bad thing. It's going to be a bad thing because they were in the school of the prophets. And Elisha said to them, leave me alone. <laughs> I love that. In other words, none of your business, really. What is it? This between me and him. And Elijah would say, you stay over here because I'm going to go over here. And Elijah, Elijah said, not so, because you said I must see what's happening so they'll enter into what I'm believing God for. I don't want to be absent the moment that God decides to take you. So I'm just going to stick to you. And it happened that way. So being part of this labor-intensive thing that's happening, he said, but when she gives labor, goes into intercession, but the joy of the Lord comes in the morning she no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that a human being has been born into the world. There you now have sorrow. You're dealing with sorrow. We're in the birth pangs. You're in sorrow, but I, I'll see you again, and your heart will rejoice. Rejoice means to even leap and twist because what you said is true. Rejoice with him, rejoining his heart. That's what rejoice is. And your joy, no one will take from you. And I'd like to put the whole message around that one verse. And no one will take your joy from you. When I was praying over the church recently, I said, God, what is it as a pastor of this house, what is it that we, we need as we're guiding the people of God? We're coming to through as a body. How do we want to guide through this? And I was thinking maybe you're going to tell me, you know, some end time things or whatever those things are. And he said... Don't let them take your joy. But he says, and the original kind of bears it out this way, do not let anyone take your joy. And the only way that they can take the joy is like, I freely let them. Is because one thing will suppress the other. He says, you know, Matthew 13 chapter that as soon as the seed is sown, the fowls of the air love to come and pick up the seed. What did he say his joy was? His joy was being part of the branch in the vine, and as soon as the fruit comes, the enemy wants to come and pick that up and take it out and take your legacy away. John 10, thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. There's three things that happen during that time, kill, steal, and destroy. Number one is kill means to take your, to disable you. Steal means I want to take the seed that you could plant for the next generation so and the finally, destroy you means remove all of the legacy that was ever given, but that was ever given to you is removed from you. So how do we how do we operate in this season? Part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit is carrying the joy of the Lord, because it's, it is a spirit of God. God Himself is joy. When Jesus, you look through His ministry, He was always talking about the Father, and He was always pointing for the days ahead. Joy has a prophetic bend to it because it's looking for what will be, not turning into what has been. Sorrow is what has been. Grieve means I'm still responding over something sorrowful that happened, and I'm reliving, and that's grieving. There's nothing wrong. We grieve, but we pass through grief, and we let the dead bury the dead. We're talking about people. We're just letting that spirit be gone with it. 
Because when we talk about the joy of the Lord, they use the, the, the parable there is the woman who brought forth the child. She's not thinking back, oh, how terrible it is. I'm never going to have children again. Some of you may think that, but anyway, biblically we're saying. I don't want to do that again. That was so terrible and, her- and also, you know, I can't handle that again. But because the child was born and she brought forth what he was given to her, then the joy of the Lord comes. It's really simple. The joy of the Lord is what I'm believing him to do, not grieving over what I thought he should have done. And we choose really because they let no one take your joy and the thief really wants to steal that joy. And what he does, he comes and he says, what about this? Gives you a little shiny object over it. How did that work out for you? And you stop and dwell on it, think about it long enough. Well, it didn't work out very good. Well, where's God now? Because if he can steal your joy thinking God didn't come through like he said, thought he did, then my faith is shaken, my whole belief system is shaken, and I'm held down to this worldly and this physical world that doesn't give a whole lot of promise. So how do I move out of that from glory to glory, word to word, and go back and say, God, your word declares and says, and I'm going to keep saying it and declaring it, whether it ever fulfills or not, the fact that you've called me to be a declarer of it, not whether it came to pass or not, but the idea that you stood for it. See, we're bottom line people that it's, if I got what I was believing for and the word works and it does, but if it doesn't work, in fact, you stand before God, and you've heard my story of, of Hebrews 11 about these all died in faith, yet they had this promise as given that they had faith and they believed me for it. So there's somehow or another that God loves the processes. We just like the bottom line of getting what we want. It could be a little bit of manipulation. So notice he's saying, the child is born, no longer remember the anguish. Therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice. Your heart will rejoice. And then he goes on to say, in verse, uh, verse, verse 23, no, no one will take your joy from you. Don't let them. And that day you will ask me nothing. What day is that? Because he's talking about, I'm assuredly going back to the Father. And I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. I'm no longer pointing to the Father. Now you're going to enter in with the Father. I'm just not telling you about him. I've opened the door to you, to him. I've introduced you to the Father where you're going to experience what it means to be a son. Not a slave who's wanting to be a son, but now you enter into the inheritance and the fullness of who he is. Part of this experience is your joy. The prodigal son, I can take you into Luke 15. I won't, but maybe I will. Prodigal son, he's a son. He's in the pig pen. He's still a son. The father hasn't disowned him, but the issue was he had no benefits of what the father wanted to give him while he's in the pig pen. In father's house are many rooms, places, but in the pig pen, there's not. So I need to get back into father's house, get cleaned up and become a son and just enjoy and delighting in the father, not what the father can give me. Because that didn't last how long. Right. The word joy actually comes from 
is the word kara, which we also would have the same word for face in, in another language, which means literally the, the inner gladness that breaks through. Isn't that a great word? The inner gladness that breaks through. There's not too many places in Scripture that talks about breakthrough. One is in Micah called the, the breaker anointing. But in a very English definition of that, breakthrough comes from two things. One is a military and one is, is uh, in, in education. Education means a breakthrough is when you get knowledge that moves you to a point that you never go back to a lesser place of understanding. How to breakthrough. Once you know two plus two is four, you don't want to go back and say maybe it's three. You know what it is, all right? In military terms, it means to run through the ranks and split the army of the enemy wide open so you can advance past their position and divide their strength. So he's talking about, I'm giving you all of this joy so that you would, this inner gladness, so that you would have breakthrough and not look at the enemy and go, wow, that's pretty tough. Joy helps you to see on the other side of what the enemy is keeping you from. Joy is prophetic. Jesus is prophetic. The spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. He looks beyond the, the moment of these light afflictions and so the glory is set before him. So he's saying, well, Jesus looked beyond the cross for the joy that was set before him. There was nothing joy in the cross, but what he saw on the other side of the cross was able to give him a sense of bearing the moment. Because of eternity. <coughs> Whatever you're going through, we could all, you know, line up and, and have our diaries full of stuff. You come to the point that's saying, God, what about me? How about me? How about me? And you look up and say, what about me? I'm the glory and the lifter of your head. So when you look beyond that, whatever happening is going through, it means I'm one step closer to having a destiny with him than being here. My most sorrowful moments, I have to turn myself towards him and think about what he's saying and how Jesus feels instead of me. That's the armament we have in dealing with these days that we're in. Otherwise, it'll totally eat us up, chew us up, make us so embittered, and we don't want to, we don't want to disappoint. And then we disconnect from the vine and plug into another, another vine that is angry, bitter, and is just trying to survive beyond the moment. Well, here it is. It's not just a spiritual concept. I've lived it out, walked it out. 1985 to 87 was the most horrific time of my life. I was all alone, raising three children by myself. And I said, God, but he told me in London, I was coming back from Africa, one of the greatest moves of God I'd seen that time as a young man coming back there and he told me in a little, little tiny one bedroom at, a ho at the airport hotel, he said, you won't hear from me for a while. <laughs> I just came from seeing witch doctors and people getting delivered and set free. I saw your manifest, raw manifest power of your God. Then you're telling me no longer, did I do something wrong? He said, no. The enemy has desired to sift your family. But I pray, it's what he told Peter, I pray that your faith will not fail. He didn't say, I'm going to deliver you. He said, I'm praying that you, you bear up under it. I didn't understand joy because I thought joy is just sense, a sense of emotion and just, you know, maybe, maybe my best days are behind me, you know, and I'm just going to pour in my, my three kids and just, that's it. 
But every day I wanted to follow after him and pray and read my Bible. And reading the Bible got nothing out of it because it takes the Holy Spirit. He didn't leave me. He was just hiding me away. People come to me and said, you're going to get back, you got to get back in the ministry. I said, I don't anything to do with the ministry. Because ministry and God aren't always the same thing. Ministry hit hard on my family. My kids and hit all of them. I had to break through the whole ridicule thing in the very beginning. You're a whippersnapper. You're too young. You don't call to preach. Went through all that. And yet the Lord's sitting over there going, come on, help me, Jesus. You're the big brother here. And all I heard at the end when I came out of this, he said, to take you where I wanted you to go, you had to pass through through faith. Not me coming and doing it for you. Otherwise, my word is simply just liturgy to you. We have an opportunity in these times and season to live out what we believe, not what we just heard. Our behavior will just say, thou art the Lord God. There's a great scripture. I think it's in Habakkuk. Somebody can fill me in here. Though there's no oxen in the in the stalls and there's no sheep in the fields and there's just poop everywhere, you know, that's my saying that. Yet I shall still praise the Lord. Though the finances aren't there and don't feel too great and all this doesn't happen and these things aren't going on and all these things that I would believe in you to do, God, you didn't come through. And so he's saying, but you only serve me for what I do for you or is the, or is the fact is you love me for what I've already done. It's what you've already done that moves me to the, what I'm going to be doing in the future. Otherwise, we're fickled Christians. And maybe the, our gospel that we speak a lot of times is just, you know, if you're going through a bad day, you must have opened up something to the devil. I believe that's possible. But when your heart's right and you're doing everything, you know, to serve God, then Jesus can say, when you break through, you're going to own it. You have authority by what you overcome, not what you undergo and you complain about. You complain about it, you just get to go take it over and over. You never fail the test. He's such a good teacher, you just get to take it over and over and over again. I don't spend 20 years taking the same test. I think I've seen these questions before. I can't even cheat. When you break through, you'll never want to go back to a lesser place. When you've seen the goodness of the Lord, why not go back and say, oh, this, this poultry attitude, I don't want part of it. Quick things. David prayed in Psalms 51. He sinned with Bathsheba. You know the context. And he prays this powerful prayer because he understands the heart of God. He understands whom he served. And he prayed, Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. Joy was David's adrenaline. He knew what it meant to have joy even in the face of battle, but he knew what it meant when God hid his face from him. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come and go. In the New Testament, he said, I'll never leave you, forsake you. I now live and dwell in you. I'm not leaving you. I'm not around you. But sometimes we can suppress the Holy Spirit and say, where is he? We've left us. No, we've suppressed him. He's there. He's in the back room. We put him there. 
When we rejoice in the Lord and begin to worship the Lord, he somehow or another, he wants to show up. Hey, I want to get in on the worship service, not the pity party. He's told me that a few times. Interesting, David, understanding the presence of God. You can go into 1 Samuel 17. He's anointed king. You know, though he hadn't stepped into that place as prophetically declared as Samuel did. He comes in. His father sends him to, the, to check out his brother, see what's going on. For 40 days, the Philistines, it was half-breeds. They were part of the Nephilim. That gods of this world came down, had sexual relationship with the women. They have the Nephilim or the sons of Anak. Came through various streams. So these giants were there. They just weren't people that had ate a lot of protein. They were demonic. So these giants were there in Goliath, whose name is Galah, means to strip and take away your armor. Take away your ability to defend yourself. So he's for 40 days trash-talking the Israeli army, who was the most fierce and powerful army in the world. But for 40 days, they listened. They listened to this stuff. We're going to feed your flesh to the fowls of there. We're going to make you become our slaves. You'll control us. If you give up now, we'll, we'll be nice on you. You can just become our slaves. David, who'd been hanging out with a sheep, playing his harp. That's my picture. He just coming up, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. I'm going to kill you. What? Who's this? His brother said, oh, you just came out here for a wrong reason. I know your motive. So I just came out to bring you some cheese, man. He said, what will be given to the guy that will kill him? Oh, you'll probably get the king's daughter and all this stuff, you know, going on. And he says to them, is there not a cause? which is not a great translation. The original translation is the word dabar, D-A-W-B-L, which means, do we not have history with God? You have listened to this trash talking for 40 days and you forget who you are? The people that came out of Egypt by the power of God, the manifest presence of God, and the God who answers by fire, this is the God we serve, and all of a sudden, you're gonna be moved by something that some fallen, well, it's my fallen demon, Half-breed is telling you what to think. Because you let the devil get in your head long enough, you'll start thinking whatsoever one, Proverbs 23, as one thinks in his heart, so they become. You dwell on it long enough, it becomes a reality that God never intended for it to be. I thought that was good. Here's the interesting thing with that. When David began to declare over them, the Lord God, we can take this man. I believe that as a harpist, he was more in tune with heaven than he was concerned with this thing. He was worshiping the God of all gods, Yahweh, and he said, I'm in tune with him. And the Lord reminded him, remember all the problems you had, David, before? Remember all the issues you've had in the past? Remember that your father didn't think you were the most qualified to become the king? He thought Abinadab should be. You were the runt of the family, and yet God shows you. So therefore, you're dealing with rejection. You want to go up against that guy? God loves taking the small things and making them big. <laughs> it's amazing what he'll take a little bit and cause it to be more than what you thought. But when your mind starts trying to figure it out, you've already lost the battle. Set the singers out front. Let them rejoice. Hey, we've never done that before. 
But if you want to win the, <clears throat> the battle, this, this one belongs to the Lord. So you do unconventional things that you worship, bless the Lord, give thanks unto him for all the things that he's done, thanksgiving, and, and see what the Lord will do. And when they did that, God said all, he said ambushments against the sons of Ammon and all of the other seer and all those things, and they destroyed themselves. I wonder how many times the enemy would have destroyed himself if I'd just gotten out of the way and just done what he called me to do. Rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. Rejoice always. That's, you can Greek that one all day and still come out always. The verse, Psalm 68 said, let God arise. It was when that the cloud would begin to move. Let God arise. Let his enemies be scattered. Joy is inside of our spirit person. Happiness operates out of our thinking. I'm happy because I got something to look forward to. We lose joy when we've lost the sight of looking forward to the king of glory. Entiendo? See? No see? Not chiding, I'm saying this. Grab a hold of him and his face. And suddenly the that old him and suddenly the things of this world will grow what? Strangely dim. He shouldn't be the strange one. This world is strangely dim. But he already told us ahead of time, hey. I don't need anybody to remind me it's going to get worse before it gets better. I need someone to remind me the joy that is in you is greater than what will you face ahead of time. I know that I may have upset some of you like that. Don't you really know what all's going on? I know. But I can be more effective in, in intercession if I'm happy about it and rejoicing in the Lord, then, oh my God, here they come. They're in the east, they're in the west, they're in the north, south. Or even I'm afraid sometimes. God's not afraid. He's setting us up for something big. Whether in my lifetime or my children's lifetime, nonetheless, he wants me to be a good steward of the generation I'm in and hand off to them not a mantle of fear, but a mantle of worship and joy and presence of the Lord. <clears throat> And making them fearful of hell doesn't keep them in the love of God. Hell is a very sure thing. Separation from God is what it is. But what is it to... I'm, I think we ought to preach. It's, it's very real. But preach the fact, the reality that God's grace is bigger and better. Doesn't mean that I abuse grace and sloppy of grace and any of that. But I'm setting my heart and affection upon him above. I love this verse of scripture. Then get finished, but we'll stop it here. Psalms 2. The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and his anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. Verse 4. He who sits in the heavens, that's capital He, capital He, I mean, He who sits in the heavens, that's what? Shall laugh. 
Joy comes in the morning because I've seen what's getting ready to happen. If the rulers of this world had been as smart as they thought they were, they would have never crucified Jesus. <laughs> He's laughing all the way. Sunday comes. Resurrection comes. They're mourning because they, our Lord was taken from us. It's now turned into joy. And the disciples are trying to, it must be a ghost. No, it's what I've been telling you all the while. You go through the valley of the shadow of death, you die to yourself because resurrection's coming. I've got a table for you in my presence, right in front of the enemy, and I'm teaching you how to eat in front of him right now. He who sits in the heavens laughs, the Lord shall hold them in derision, not us. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in the, his deep pleasure. So we don't understand that. I just leave that up to him. He doesn't need my anger to help his anger. I have a passion to see things change. I have a passion to see abortion completely destroyed in all this. I have a passion to see that sex trafficking stops because I believe it's the heart of God. I have a passion for that. Doesn't mean I deal away with that at all. But when I come before him, I know that I'm, I want to do what I can on the earth. I went and voted, but I'm believing God to set us in place in a place of authority to influence so we can enter into the battle not angry and fearful, but passionate, full of glory. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king. And he doesn't set in Washington, D.C. I just want to let you all know that. I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. One day, Jesus will come back and rule up on, from Mount Zion. He's going to come and step foot on the Mount of Olives. He's going to split it wide open. The eastern gate that is shut up right now full of a bunch of graves from from Muslims and other Arab, Arab people, is I don't know what's going to happen with them, but on that east gate, and the king of glory is going to come through. And he will come and rule the nations from that position. You can, eschatology could be a lot of variations of that. So in the end, we win. We win. Isaiah 35 says, oh soul, why are you disquieted? Why are you cast down? Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. That's another verse, but it's let the redeemed of the Lord. What are we saying? We're saying what he's saying. The redeemed of the Lord has a voice and it's always what he says, not what we think. Jesus is always pointing to the future. The devil wants to point you to the past. He will return and will be celebrating. Redeemed the Lord will return. Isaiah spoke 27 times with the idea of joy and rejoicing. Spoke more about it than any other writer in the whole scripture. The redeemed of the Lord will come and they shall rejoice and they will return from their captivity with joy on their heads. One translation says they're being crowned with glory. Psalms 45 is speaking, it's a messianic prophecy talking about and God saying back to his son, prophetically, Jesus had not yet come obviously, and he said, because you've hated iniquity and loved righteousness, therefore, I am, 
anointing you with the oil of gladness or joy, is one translation, even above your other brothers. So I'm giving you more anointing oil than anybody else could have. So if Jesus, who is our Redeemer, has been anointed, the head has been anointed with, with the oil of gladness, how much more should his body respond? All hail King Jesus, all hail Emmanuel, King of kings, Lord of lords. Most of you don't know that song. <laughs> so there's a, a redemption returning. We don't have to wait till the Lord comes back to do that. I'm returning from sorrow of letting anything or anyone steal my sorrow, and I'm returning back to the seat in Ephesians 2 of in the heavenlies and said, I'm going to hang out with Jesus here. Isaiah 54. Sing, O barren, you woman who did not bear, rejoice as if you had many children. Well, that's not prophetic. I don't know what it is. He's talking about Israel. said, you, you're barren, but I want you to rejoice now as if you had more children than anybody else. So rejoicing is a prophetic place of saying, I'm going to rejoice whether I feel like it or not because joy comes out of your spirit, not your mind. Give me something to be rejoice about. I don't have to. Holy Spirit, come and give me something. Let God arise. Well, I got to think this. That. No, I don't need thinking this. The Spirit of the Lord quickens, makes alive. Stand with me for it. Bible is just full of references concerning that anointing of joy. Psalm 16, in his presence, not fullness of sorrow, in his presence, a fullness of joy. And at his right hand, so we can determine which side are we sitting on. The goats go to the left, his sheep go to the right. That's what he says at the end of the world. Goats are trying to butt their way through everything. Sheep doesn't have that kind of thing. Without a shepherd, you can't get there. Jesus, chief shepherd. So Father, would you right now just release an oil of joy upon us? Forgive us, O oh God, that we've lived our lives so much out of it, what's between our two ears. And we ask the ministry of the Holy Spirit to remind us of the things that Jesus said and bring us back to that point of joy. Even when Paul declared it, this one thing I do, he's, I mean, this is a guy that had it. Forgetting those things that are behind, how do I do that? Is I don't give it value. I don't go back and revisit it. Don't go to the graveyard and put flowers on it. Nothing wrong anybody wants to do that, but not spiritually. I forget those things behind me and I press forward to the prize. There's no prize of going backwards. I mean, I got a lot of tears you've had too of things behind you and I have to sometimes fight when the enemy said, remember what someone said about you 30 years ago when they said that you would if you entered into this, this realm of prophecy, that you would die and miss God and go to hell. More than 30 years, because I was 19. 
If I'd have bought into that and believed that, I'd have been stuck no telling where. I feel like two hands behind my back and the religious system. Forgetting those things. Resist the devil. How do I do that? I need replace and joy. Can you just ask the Holy Spirit right now to fill up the places where you didn't have the best response and the enemy wants to make you camp out there and think on these, dwell on these things, but whatever you dwell on will produce fruit. Yeah, but them, yeah, but them, yeah, but them. And as long as you got them in mind, he said, I can't give you what I want you to have. So Father, we enter in to the spirit of joy because it is a spirit and it's all about you, God, and your nature and who you are. Rejoice with them that rejoice. Mourn with them that mourn. But don't get bogged down with sorrow over the cares of this world that choke the sea. So we bless you, Lord. Your loving kindness is better than this life. Your mercy extends beyond what I could all I could ask or think or even dream. So I turn my face towards the hill of the Lord and say your goodness and mercy follows me, catches up to me, overwhelms me, and takes me into another realm. Let the joy of the Lord become my strength, my strong. Hang out there and remember the days when the Lord is goodness and His mercy extended. I'll not remember the days of my youth. I'll not remember the days of foolishness. I'll not remember the days when I was called names and cursed and said things about. But I will remember what the Lord has said. My son, you're my son. You're my son. Let no one take my your joy that belongs to me. Your inheritance, it belongs to you. It came from me. The world did not give you that peace. The world did not give you that joy. So don't look to the world to get it. Don't look to the world for your peace. Look unto me, says the Lord, the keeper of mercy, the keeper of mercy, the keeper of loving kindness. Don't look unto one another for affirmation. Don't look unto one another. Am I succeeding? Am I okay? Am I wonderful? Am I good? Praise God when you get it. But looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, we come and we bow and submit ourselves unto you, O Lord God. Let the joy of the Lord envelop us right, envelop us right now. We join into the heavenlies and laugh. Ha! To him that sets and rules, that scoffs and mocks the king's anointed. Ha! Ha ha! Who is this little thing that would shake nations? and cause fear in great kings. Ha! The one who created all these things, be the one who laughs. My bride, I call you into a secret place. You desiring, desiring, and loving, and worshiping the Lord God. I come with the washing of the water of the Word to wash out this world's standards, this world's thinking, this world's madness. And I bring you into my tent of meeting. I bring you into the love chamber. Am I not enough? Am I not sufficient to meet all that you have need of? 
I come with the fresh wind of the Holy Spirit. He comes to blow away the chaff. He comes to blow away all the other stuff. Will you not enter in with Him? Will you not come with Him? Will you not interact with Him? Participate. Oh, Jesus. For you that were here back in the 90s. Okay, there's a lot of teaching going on ministry about joy. We couldn't go through a meeting hardly without... I'm not trying to go back and relive those days, but I remember. But I remember what the devils are hollering and saying. I remember. I remember. I remember that seats, those encounters where people were so filled with the Holy Spirit. People that I knew personally that had gone through trauma, had been molested, and had all kinds of issues that they could point back to. Could have been on the Dr. Phil show a hundred times. And in one moment, people started testifying. I crawled up in his lap for the first time. He loved on me and said, I belong to him. And released me of all the stuff the world said that I was condemned for. I understood daddy for the first time. He got so loved me that he laid down his son. So it's not about me being martyred. It's about the, what his son did. And his blood cries out, you are my son. You are my beloved, and I give to you all that I have purchased, all the benefits of salvation. Let it be yours right now. Fear is not one of the benefits of salvation. Anxiety is not benefit that. But the benefit, set your heart upon the benefits. I'm saved. They can't eat me. If they did, I just go to be with them. They can't kill me. I'm just going to be with him. They can't revile me because he said, if the master did it to him, they did the master, they do it to you. So you're in good company. <laughs> so love the Lord with all of your heart, mind, and strength. Set your love and your face upon him and let him raise you up to a higher place that your conversation would say forever and ever and ever. You can tell whether, you're, whether you've lost your joy because the conversations are no longer about the Lord. Your prayers are... Or no longer about how good he is and what he what he can do, or that it should be victorious. This the, the enemy does this, but my God reigns. <laughs> Yahweh rides on the flood. He comes to flood us with his goodness, and the word of the Lord sent and healed us all. So I remember the times, O oh Lord, in the secret place. Will you wash just with the washing of the cleansing of the water? I remember the moment 12 years ago you took every bit of ambition out of me. It was no longer a desire to minister. no longer to be known. as no longer to even care about those stuff that all falls away in a moment. When your ambition becomes more of the focus, you've lost the anointing. He's there, but he will not share his glory. You get to step into it, but he'll not share it. Look what I did. When you no longer want to be a giver, no longer give my time, give my love, give, give the tenderness of heart. Second Corinthians says, God loves a cheerful giver. When I've lost the ability to cheerfully give, then maybe the joy has been robbed. 
I just don't want to check, check the box off and say I did it. Then another Sunday, I'll give you all the rest of them. I wish you could have been with me a couple of days ago when the Lord spoke to me. He said, my, my bride is losing the joy of their salvation. I just put my head on my desk and just wept. And he said, son, will you join with me in telling her once again about me? Not what she can get from me if they put in the slot and they get this toy out and they win the prize. Am I not enough? Love me for who I am. Remember what I've done. And set your heart and affection. And then tell the whole world. Be evangelists. Wherever you are, be an evangelist. Tell them of the good news, the gospel of the kingdom. That means go tell them how bad things are. Tell them how good Jesus is. It's the goodness of the Lord that causes people to repent. Not the fear of what's getting ready to happen. It's the goodness of the Lord that causes repent. I got it. Just make, find a place. If I want the ministry team to come, you can, be, there'll be people here that'll be praying with you if you want to. If you need to just find a place at your seat, just allow there to be a, a work of the Holy Spirit this morning before you leave. You don't walk out and say, I've heard that before. That's a good message. That's a bad message. It doesn't matter anymore. But just know one thing, that he's equipped us with the greatest weapon. That's himself. And he always comes out, ha! Ha! That's the best you can do. We have history. This church has history. He set a throne in this house of the joy of the Lord is his strength and he wants to put his hand up inside of us and we feel we're just kind of a puppet just move me Holy Spirit where you want me to do help me to know when to keep my mouth shut help me to know when to open it help me that I'm not discouraging people but you call me to edify, build up and strengthen 